2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13, on page 1181 in the Black Sea Bible. Starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Hebrews chapter 11. This is, if I ask you, some of you would know, this is the hall of faith. You know, you have the hall of fame. This is the hall of faith. And it has all these people listed, these Old Testament characters listed in this chapter and how faithful they've been. They've been trusting the Lord. They're trusting the Lord, but for most of them, they didn't even see or they didn't attain what they were hoping for in, in their lifetime. But they're trusting God for it. And many of these folks suffered for their faith. Now look at verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. If you've got your black pew Bible there, it's page 1196. Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to, by way of introduction, I want to read this. Verse 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me. Again, the writer of Hebrews has been listing all these faithful people. People have been faithful through the ages. For, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept relief so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hall of Faith. You read the beginning of the chapters, all these heroes, people that we, we would add it, you know, if we were adding to the Hall of Faith, we would add them in the list. And then you get to the end and he talks about all these people who have suffered and been martyred. You know, we live in America, the land of the free and home of the brave. I call it the land of heat and air. If you lived in a third world country, you understand that, the land of heat and air, where it's all, always 70 degrees. Or 68 for some of y'all. We're spoiled a bit in America, and it's hard for us to understand suffering and persecution. But it's real. And Christians are suffering immensely today in many places in the world because the gospel is not embraced. Now, of course, every time we share the gospel, every time these people in these hard places share the gospel, that doesn't mean that they're going to suffer persecution. But the world is increasingly antagonistic towards the gospel. And when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the exclusivity of the gospel, which says that we can only have a relationship with the Father through Christ, His Son. And the world doesn't embrace that. 
as a whole. In fact, outside of America, today I think the world is not much different than Timothy's world. More Christians have died for their faith in the last century than all the previous combined. An estimated 400 believers die every day for their faith. Again, that's kind of hard for us to you know, wrap our mind around. We live in Tippin County, you know. I mean, we still whip kids in school, don't we, Jerry? Yes, sir. You know? <laughs> but the encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy here, I think it's good for Timothy, but it's good for us as well. Paul's in a dungeon. He's waiting execution. He's writing to Timothy and he tells him, Hey, bring me my coat before winter comes, if you can. Bring me the parchments, the scriptures. And Paul is using this letter to encourage and to empower Timothy, to strengthen Timothy to do the work he's called to do. And, and, and Paul, so far, this is what Paul's told Timothy to do. He says, you have faith just like your mother, just like your grandmother, so fan the flame that's in you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me who's a prisoner of the gospel. Now there were several, right? Phagellus and Hermogenes, they were ashamed. They were ashamed of the gospel. They were ashamed of Paul. Anisiphorus, on the other hand, wasn't. Be like Anisiphorus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He tells Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And, and, and how do we do that? We talked about that last week. By being strengthened by His grace, by continually coming to Jesus saying, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord Jesus. I need you, Father. Whatever it is that helps you remain in the Lord, whatever your prayer is to the Lord, that's how we stay strengthened by His grace, depending on the Lord. We guard the good deposit also, if you remember, by replacing ourselves with others. Finding faithful people that we can, we've been taught a little bit, so we teach them, so they also can teach somebody else. We also guard the good deposit, Paul tells Timothy, by having the same frame of mind as a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer who, think about them, they were willing to sacrifice and work hard for, for a single goal, a single purpose. So here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, Paul is attempting to motivate Timothy once again. He wants to strengthen him. He wants to toughen him up empower him to do the work of the ministry, which oftentimes requires suffering. So turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 look at verse 8. Three, three ways we're strengthened even more. The first one, verse 8, is remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel. Remember Jesus. Why well, could Timothy ever forget Jesus? And it's not that he forgets who he is. It's not necessarily that he forgets what he's done for him. But it could be that he could live in such a way that Christ was not affecting his day in and day out decisions. We don't forget Jesus. Those of us who are born again here, do you ever get over what Christ has done for you? get over what Christ has done for you. You never get over the, the sacrifice he made and the, the, the change 
He's made in your life. You were dead and now you're alive. I'll never forget it. November 25th of 1990. God saved my soul. It was like a, like a Saul on the road to Damascus. I was this kind of person one moment, and then I'm another kind of person the next. I mean, there's things that the Lord just began to change in me just like that. Things I, I, I used to want to do, now I abhor. Things I used to laugh at, I think it's terrible. You never get over that. But there may be times where we, we forget Christ in, 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 in such a way that we, we're not allowing Him to influence our decisions. And we kind of get in a group where we're doing what we want to do. Any believers ever done that? Any believers in here besides me? No, I'm asking for a right hand. I don't know that one right hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, do, we all do that as believers. Yeah, we go through times where we're not allowing Christ to influence our decisions. We kind of get the, in, a, in, a, in a rut. Sometimes we kind of walking in the flag. We kind of do what we want to do. We kind of stick our heads, you know, doing what we want to do, right? Remember Jesus. You read the, the Old Testament. And it seems Israel's memory of what God has done for them and their spiritual vitality, they're directly proportional. The more they remember what God had done for them, the more faithful they were. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, God is constantly rebuking the Israelites. You're forgetting what I've done for you. Have you forgotten what I've done for you? How could you forget what I've done for you? There's a familiar hymn, O Thou Found of Every Blessing. We sang it last week. Did we sing it last week or the week before? A couple weeks ago. Robert Robinson. It's, it's, it was written in 1758. And, and the, second, the second stanza, the second verse, says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Some of you know this. Hither by thy help I've come. Never understood that hither part, but that's neither here nor there, right? And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Here I raised my Ebenezer. He got that from 1 Samuel chapter 7. In chapters 4 through 7 of 1 Samuel, what's happening here is the Israelites are battling. Who they're battling in this day and time? Who's their, their nemesis, their arch rival? The Philistines. Yeah, yeah, it's right time during uh, David, you know, David and Goliath. Yeah, they're fighting the Philistines. In an attempt to defeat the Philistines, what they did one day, uh, it was, you know, bonehead move, but they took the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic, right? It was a symbol representing the presence of God. Well, they took it into battle. Thinking, it's kind of like a good luck charm, a, 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 a rabbit's foot or something. When we take that into battle, we, we can't lose. So they take it into battle. Well, guess what? Because it wasn't the Lord's will. It got captured. So the Philistines take it back to there and put it in their pagan temple to Dagon. Well, bad move there because they start breaking out into tumors. Really fast-growing tumors, too. And not only that, but Dagon in the morning was down face on his face, all broken to pieces, right? So the Philistines get scared of God and they send that that ark back to the Israelites. And so they're battling back and forth. Samuel, he's the prophet, but he's also the judge. He's the last judge. We all, he makes us a sacrifice to the Lord. And as the Philistines approach him, 
God thunders. Don't know what that was like. But he thundered in such a way that it threw the Philistines into a, a panic. And they were routed. In fact, let's read this text. 1 Samuel chapter 7, 10 through 12. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the word thundered with a mighty sound that, that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Till now the Lord has helped us. So let's set up a reminder of what the Lord has done for us. And he called it an Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means a stone of help. So whenever the Israelites would look at that stone, they would remember how God had helped them, how God had thundered and gave them victory over their enemies. And, and God had them make monuments of remembrance time and time again. Remember they walked across the Jordan. They're in the promised land. It was a flood stage and, and the, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they stepped into the water, what happened? Red Sea all over again. And it parted. And they, and they walked across on dry land. And so to remember that event, they set up another monument. Joshua chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? And you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they were there to this day. For the priest bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all the that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. Yeah, I got this monument, 12 stones. What's that all about? God helped us cross the Jordan. Let me tell you, how, let me tell you how, what he did. He stopped the waters, and so it built up a wall. And we got to walk through on dry land. And when we passed through, the, 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 the river continued to flow again. Wow, that's what God did for us. So this monument was a symbol so Israel would remember what God had done for them. And all the feasts and festivals, they had the same purpose. Passover. Every year you're going to celebrate the Passover. It's a big, big festival, party, a feast. You're going to do it every year because you're going to remember what, what I did for you in Egypt. I rescued you. I, I turned you loose. Redeemed you from the hand of Pharaoh. And I I put down the firstborn of every Egyptian so that you go free. What about the new covenant? We have anything like that? Yeah, we do, don't we? Next week is what? First Sunday. We do, we do some things on the first Sunday. We we have men's breakfast. It's 8 to 9 o'clock. All the men, boys, we get together and talk about men's stuff and have devotionals and we eat a big, 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 big breakfast, right? From 8 to 9. 
So if you're, if you're up, you like to come, we'd love for you, love for you to come and participate in that sweet time. But we also, during our service, we take the Lord's Supper. And what is that? It's a feast, it's a meal. It's an ordinance where we do what? Just like the, the, these Old Testament morals, we remember, it helps us to remember what Christ has done for us. And it's always just the sweetest service because we're focusing on Christ. We're setting our minds on Jesus, remembering what He has done for us. So Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. We have to keep Jesus before us. But what are we to remember? Look, look what it says here. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus is His name. Christ is His title. Christ means Messiah. Anointed One. Risen from the dead. So do we remember? We're to remember that Jesus is dead. He's risen. And that, that word risen there, the verb tense, He was raised from the dead in the past and He continues now as the risen One. And, and Jesus' resurrection is main proof that the gospel is true, right? I mean, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, our faith is worthless. But Jesus has been raised, so the resurrection validates the gospel. And the resurrection does other things, too. It informs us that Jesus is God. Resurrection is a really big deal. Easter is a really big deal. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning a son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared to be the Son of God. How? By the resurrection. Yeah. Only God rises from the dead. The resurrection also reminds us that we'll be raised from the dead also. Not only Jesus raised, but what does that do for us? That's why Easter, that's why it's so happy. It's happy. It's hope-filled. Why? Because if that happened to Christ, it also happened to me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20-22, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That word first fruits, that's kind of, John, we don't really use that word very often. It's kind of a Bible word, you know. But the first fruits were used by farmers to discern whether the harvest is going to be good or not. Pick those first fruits. Oh, look out. That's pretty good. I think the harvest is going to, man, we're going to have a good harvest this year, right? When the same way Christ resurrection, he said he's the first fruit, is proof, yeah, we're going to have a good harvest. And the harvest is going to be souls, redeemed souls. We remember Jesus rose from the dead. We also remember that it says Jesus is the offspring of David, he is the seed of David. He's a descendant of David. You think about the prophecies in the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy about Jesus. Remember? It's in the garden. God's cursing the serpent. And he tells them that 
descendant of Eve is going to reverse all of this. The effects of the fall is going to reverse all that and, and, and Satan, your head's going to be crushed. Genesis chapter 22, God then narrows that a bit and promises Abraham, hey, from you, all nations of the world are going to be blessed. Then he narrows again to, to Judah, the son of Jacob, who's Abraham's great-grandson. God promised that a king would come from his lineage, that all the nations would submit to a world ruler. We see that in Genesis 49.10. Then a prophecy narrows even more. God promised that David's seed would have an everlasting king. So this prophecy just narrows. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, God speaking to David. This is a promise to David. The Davidic promise of the Davidic covenant. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David. One of your descendants is going to be the forever king, going to be the Messiah, going to be the Christ. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 33, the angel says this to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of, it, of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's what you see when you see these Davidic kings. You start seeing forever. Forever. Never end. Right? Yeah. It's not just an earthly king. No, it's a spiritual king. The king of kings. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah that fulfilled all the, these Old Testament prophecies. In Christ, he's the reigning Davidic king. But at the same time, he's the future king, right? Because he's going to return. And he's going to punish the rebellious and reward the faithful. And we remember our king and his, his coming kingdom. And that strengthens us and empowers us. Why are we so prone to forget Christ? Why are we so prone to get in our own little mode and start doing things we want to do and forget him? You know, it's like we're not we're not like overtly saying, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. But it's like we just get in our own little, kind of get our own little lane, just living life. And when we go days or weeks or months without saying, Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me live my life? Help me, Lord. Show me your way. Not my will be done, but your will be. Remember Jesus. The risen one, the Messiah, the Davidic king, who's going to reign forever. But also notice, it says, as preached in my gospel. Isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't say the gospel, he says my gospel. This is my gospel. What's he mean by that? Well, I think firstly, Paul was changed by the gospel. Remember in Acts chapter 9, he's walking towards Damascus to arrest Christians. He thinks he's doing God a favor. He's a Pharisee, and he doesn't like the way that this new set, this new movement, this new teaching. So he's going to kind of 
take those people as Christians and put them in jail and stop this movement, right? So, but then Jesus speaks to them and, and his life is forever changed. Paul says, this is my gospel because it changes life. Just like I live, November 25th, 1998, it changed me. This is my gospel. It changed my life. So then the million dollar question is, is that your gospel? Can you say this, this is my gospel? And I don't just say it's my gospel because it changes life, but he says my gospel because that's what he's preaching. That's what he's peddling. That's what he's teaching. Can that be said of you? Okay, like you say, this is my gospel because it, not only has it changed me, but it's what, I'm, it's what I'm sharing. It's what I'm peddling. It's what I'm teaching. It's what I'm propagating. And this remembering, remembering Christ, what happens? That's the means by which we're strengthened. Again, Paul's just trying to empower Timothy. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. Secondly, remember that Paul is bound, but his gospel is not. Verse 9 and 10. Paul says, for which I, I, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The gospel is powerful. Paul says in Romans 1 16, it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, for the Jew first and then the Gentile. It's how people are saved. It's the power of God. But, but the gospel is powerful, even when the vessel delivery is weakened and removed. Paul says, I, I, I'm suffering for the elect. God has chosen the people for himself and, and God's using his gospel, propagating the gospel so that those people can be saved. God, and he uses us people, right? Weak as we are to bring about his will. So we share the gospel. I, I think the best understanding of that principle comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. This is during Paul's first imprisonment. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, meaning he's in prison, he's in house arrest on his first, his first arrest, kind of nice, kind of cush, right? House arrest. People can kind of come and go and visit him. The guards were treated pretty, pretty well. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now that's interesting. What are they putting Paul in prison for? For preaching the gospel. They're trying to shut Paul up. They're trying to quieten him, mute him. So that it has been become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is bound, and he's in prison. They're trying to shut him up. But by putting him in jail, what happened? Hey, all these prison guards, guess what? They hurt the gospel, because I'm in here, and I'm sharing it with them. So you tried to shut me up, but actually it's, it's been a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. By putting me in jail. Not only that, but all the people who aren't incarcerated, the believers, they've been emboldened. And this kind of motivated them, empowered them to preach the gospel. 
That wasn't the effect they thought they were going to have. Paul is bound, but the gospel is not. Paul's voice was the loudest while he was in prison. You want to spread the gospel? You want to shut me up? Yeah, throw me in jail. That's true of John Bunyan as well. You know, John Bunyan, he, he wrote the Allegory Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you have read that. John Bunyan was a, a Puritan. He was preaching and he was very popular. But he was not well received by the Church of England. Of course, the 17th century, a lot going on. So he was jailed to silence him. So what did John Bunyan do? He began to preach in jail. He would preach out the jail. And so people would come from their little town to the jail to hear him preach. To where he was, he was reaching more people while he was in jail than he was out. And so what they did, they tried to quiet him again. So they put him in the inner cell so he couldn't preach. And so what did John Bunyan do? How did he spend his time? He couldn't preach, but he wrote while he was there, Pilgrim's Progress, which for centuries was the most read, the most published book in all the world behind the Bible. So by censoring him and putting him in jail, what did they do? They reached a hundred times more people with the gospel. Paul's bound, but the gospel is not. Paul and John Bunyan, they both spoke the loudest in their suffering. So what empowers us? What strengthens us? Know that God uses the gospel. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I want to serve the Lord and share the gospel and love people and disciple people. And I don't know how long I'm going to live. I could be dead today or tomorrow or I could live another 20, 30 years. I don't know. But you know what's going to happen when Shane Hartfield's no more and nobody even remembers me? The gospel is going to continue to go forth until Jesus comes back. Because God is going to save those he wants to save. Remember Jesus Christ. That'll empower you. Remember that although Paul is bound, his gospel is not. And thirdly, remember we're going to win in the end. We're going to win in the end. Look at verses 11 through 13. This is a, a hymn of the early church. Look at verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we also will live with Him. See, we're, we're joined to Christ through faith. And what that means is when we join ourselves to Christ through faith, what happened to Christ happened to us. So we trust Christ's work and we trust that Jesus lived for us. He lived a perfect life and then He died this cruel, terrible death where He received the wrath of the Father for us and it made atonement for our sin, when we trust that He did that, what happens, it's as if that happened to us. Happened to Christ, happened to us. His life's record is given to us. We call that imputed righteousness. His life record given to us, His death is as if we, we died. It's as if we suffered the wrath. That's how we, we can have our sins atoned for We've died with Him. 
says we will also live with him. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. This is really interesting. We read this, and then we read this hymn, and we're thinking, wow, that sounds really similar. We know that our old self was crucified with him. This is Paul writing in Romans 6. We know that our old self, this is written several years before this Second Timothy. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we see this here in verse 11. If we have died with him, we'll also live with him. Look at verse 12. If we endure, we also we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If he'll deny those who deny him. He'll do that at the judgment, right? Those who persevere in their faith are truly united to Christ and will live and reign with Him forever. So this, this hymn here, these few verses, focus on future aspects of a reign with the Lord. Which is pretty amazing. It's a reign that will involve us judging even the angels, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. It's kind of interesting. This is a future glory we look forward to. But, but let's not think about, forget to think about but what's true of us now. See, even now we're reigning with our Savior in many ways. See, sin no longer has dominion over those who believe in Christ. Romans 6, 14. We've been adopted as God's children. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. By the Spirit, we can now conquer sin and be sanctified. We can be made holy. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We don't have to give in to temptation. He'll provide a way that we can stand up under it. Yeah, although there's a lot of things that are true of us for now. Although this is talking about future glory, but there's things that are true now, Jordan. You know, we don't have to wallow in sin. No, we, we can be victorious. We can obey the Lord. He gives us His Holy Spirit. He wants to help us do what He wants us to do. Look at verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Now, let me help you with this a little bit. This can be a little tricky. If we're unfaithful as Christians, which we all are, I mean, we had to raise each other's hands, you know, we're kind of getting a little funk and we, we just kind of do what we want to do and we're not thinking about Christ. He's not having an effect on us. He's not influencing our decisions because we got kind of one-track mind. Lord, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not really asking Jesus what He wants. I'm not looking for God's will. I'm kind of doing my own. If we are faithless, that happens sometimes, right? For moments... Think about Peter. Peter denied Christ, didn't he? And you think about Judas. Right? You have these two, two guys. They're kind of different. I think what's happening here, I think the third line, if we deny him, he also denies. I think that's referring to Judas. Because what did Judas do? Judas walked away. Denied Christ. Turns back on him. Betrayed him. Never to repent. If we deny him, he'll deny us. That's what happened to Jesus. What about Peter? If we we're faithless, he remained faithful. I think there was a moment where Peter was faithless, right? Luke chapter 22, verse 31 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You remember Judas? Satan entered Judas, right? 
when he betrayed Christ. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have re and we have turned again, turned again, what's that talking about? What's that talking about? Yeah, when you repent, yeah. Peter's going to repent, and we know. We read the book of Acts, and we see. Yeah, he repented, and what did he do? He left the church. The preached at Pentecost. Tradition tells us he died a martyr's death. Yeah, he didn't forsake the Lord. He, he, he failed, but then he repented, and he was restored. But for those who have repented and believed, Jesus is not going to deny himself and forsake us when we waver. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He's going to strengthen and empower us. All of us who humble ourselves, He's going to give us strength so we can persevere in our suffering. He, he's going to give us strength to replace ourselves. He's going to give us strength to propagate the gospel. It's interesting. Paul had written Romans chapter 6 years before, just several years before this letter, 2 Timothy. But they sound like real similar. <coughs> Could it be that the church in Rome was singing this hymn penned by Paul, influenced by Paul, very possibly could be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we do that? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thanks, thankfulness in your heart to God. These hymns, we see, we see several in the New Testament scriptures. They, they help the early church persevere. They strengthen them. Just as songs that we sing today strengthen us. And, and we say that all the time. If you're new to our church, get on our website and go to worship. And go to our Spotify playlist and just listen to that music. You know, have music playing at your house. You've got your uh, speakers going, whatever, your Bluetooth or whatever. And just listen to the music. Get familiar with it. It's always just powerful truth. And the goal is, you know, we want to sing truth, we want to preach truth, we just want truth. Propagate truth. But the hope is that you'll listen to those songs and they'll strengthen you and they'll remind you of what He's done for us. These hymns, they empowered the early church. Kyle Borland, he, he and his wife, Lord, they've been attending our church for months. And he's a fireman, she's a paramedic, so they're they're here like three weeks in a row, and then they miss three weeks in a row. You know, some of them like work swing shift, you know. But they're, they're not going to be here for the next few weeks. But sweet folks, and Jenny and I, we were eating lunch with them, just getting to know them a little bit this week. And he sent me a text on Sunday. Said, I meant to say this morning that I was so glad we sang All I Have is Christ in worship today. That song has become a personal favorite of mine. It's such a powerful song and so full of biblical truth. Yeah. Like I said, there may be songs that, that you want us to sing in the church that will bless our church. Let Jenny, let, let the praise team know. Hey, I, love, I love to sing this song. I think it would really edify the church. These classic hymns, these modern hymns, they can help strengthen the church and remind us of Jesus. So what do we do with this text? Oh, we have application. Just a couple things. We'll close. I think, firstly, we, we need to be strengthened by, by the Lord. We need grace, don't we? We need to remember Jesus who was raised so we know He's God. We need to remember Jesus, who's the son of David, who's the Messiah. He's the, the king who reigns on the throne, right? The Savior who reconciles sinners to the Father. Several ways, that, several things 
that you can maybe participate in and help you with that. We, we, we have a small groups. Like next week we'll have men's, men's breakfast. I know some of you, you know, uh, you sleep till 9 or 10 o'clock. But most people don't. So if you're up next week and it's not yet, yet 8 o'clock, come on down. We'll, we'll eat and have a little devotion. That's one way you can participate because we're going to teach the Word. You're going to be encouraged. We're also, we got small, we have small groups. And we showed our small group leaders this morning. And Chris McWilliams, he's got a small group on Sunday morning. Miss Jane for the ladies. Bobby for the men. That's Sunday morning. And we have kids' classes and student classes as well. But then Sunday nights we have small groups. You know, that's a way that you can, just a means of grace, right? A way that you can be encouraged and strengthened and encourage you to participate. And then Wednesday night we have Sunday. We have a sweet time Wednesday night. It's just pretty good. I'll be real honest with you. Wednesday night, I know some of you can't come because of work. But if you could come, I think Wednesday night we really experience church. Because we just sit around and we get to eat and fellowship and catch up and, you know, you're using your gifts and people are in there cleaning and cooking and serving and it's just real sweet, you know. People are teaching and kids are being taught and students are being taught and, oh, it's just a real sweet time. Going through First Peter, Brian's teaching us, he's using inductive Bible study. He's going to teach you how to study the Bible on your own. I also teach you First Peter how to apply it to your life. It's just going to be really sweet. But I just encourage you to participate in those things. We need to be strengthened by them. And, and, and these are means of grace that help you do that. If you can. If you can. The second thing, I think, just by way of application, you know, we're weak, but God is using the gospel to save those He wants to save. You know, remember, Jerry, the gospel isn't bound. God is going to use the gospel to save sinners. The good news is going forward to the lost. Lottie Moon, we take that, that offering and we send in people all over the world. The gospel is going to hard places. <coughs> Paul is enduring and he says he's bearing all of this difficulty so that those God is going to say will hear the gospel be saved. I do all this for the elect. I mean, he does all that for those who, who are going to be saved. Who want to propagate the gospel. That's why I'm suffering. Let me ask you a question just as we close. Who's in your sphere of influence? You know, we all have a sphere of influence. For some of us, it's, it, we have a sphere at home. You know, we have a family, a spouse maybe, or kids. Maybe a neighborhood. We have neighbors that we're close with, right? I got some of my neighbors here I'm close to, you know. Maybe that's your sphere. Maybe it's your work pool, right? All your coworkers at work. If you work, you got a sphere. You got people that you're rubbing up with. Maybe it's co-teachers, Colleagues, you know, folks in the cubicle next door or next beside you, or folks on the assembly line. Maybe you're a salesman, it's people that you see, you know, week in and week out. But you've got a sphere of influence. Who's in your sphere of influence that possibly, if you don't tell them, they won't hear the gospel? Now, some of you may say, well, I mean, we live in America, everybody hears the gospel. Uh, maybe. But I'm saying directly hears the gospel. Is there anybody in your sphere that you're like, you know what, if I don't tell him the gospel, if I don't share the gospel with this person, they may not hear it. And you, you have an idea. No one knows a person's heart. We don't know people's hearts. We don't know anybody's heart. I don't know Ryan's heart. I don't know my heart, truly. But you can look at people's lives. Amen? Yeah. A person doesn't love the Lord. A person doesn't love Jesus by his life. 
by the things he says. Is there somebody in your sphere of influence that you would say, I, I don't know if they'll hear the gospel if I don't tell them? May not be. If you don't have a very big sphere of influence, it may not be. Maybe all people in your sphere, they're saved. They're born again. You work with Christians. Possibly. But that's going to be the exception, not the rule. But there's people. Look around, seeing all these folks. And all your, where you work and where you live. I bet you there's somebody that came to your mind's eye that you're like, you know what? If I don't share the gospel with them, I'm not sure they'll hear it. They're not going to go to church. They're not going to read anything. They're not going to listen to anything. No, they need a Jesus with flesh on, right? To go and tell them. So I'd encourage you. If you've got if somebody came to your mind, I would encourage you to begin now to pray. Lord, I'm not very good at this sharing the gospel stuff. I'm not very good at preaching the gospel. I don't really know what to say. But God, what don't you do is help me to get ready. And, and, and be willing when the opportunity comes to share the gospel with this person. I don't think I'm being ugly. I don't think I've ever shared the gospel and been ugly. I've been a little forthright. You know, kind of sometimes when need be. But it's just talking to people, right? So I encourage you just by way of application. Paul said, this is my gospel. Because it's the gospel he preaches who do you need to share that gospel with? There might be somebody in your sphere of influence that's not going to hear if you don't share it with them. It's not that they they live some way far off. They, no, they live right here, but they're just not in a place where you think they're going to hear the gospel from somebody that loves them, cares for them. So maybe today, just to begin to pray, what's going to happen? Wednesday nights, we're going through 1 Peter. It's going to take about another... Brian, another six weeks maybe or seven weeks? Six weeks. Seven weeks. Seven weeks at the most. And then we're going to start evangelism training where we just real easily, real simply, we're just going to teach you how to share the gospel in a real sweet, unobtrusive way. And then we're going to practice. Then we're going to practice. Then we're going to practice. Because I've learned in my life, if I practice and I feel real confident doing something, I might actually do it. If I don't feel confident doing it, I probably won't. And that's true. Me, the true you. So that's what's going to happen here on Wednesday nights this semester. And let's just, just keep praying for this person that you think really needs to hear the gospel and probably not going to hear it if you don't share it with them. Lastly, by way of application, i got three minutes, Rick. Three minutes. Three minutes. Miss Mark got lunch on the table in about 15 minutes. I've got to hurry up. Is the gospel, can you say the gospel is my gospel? Maybe you can't say it's my God because you've never been changed by, by God. You, you're still separated from God at enmity with Him. You don't have a relation with Him because you've never repented and trusted the work Christ has done for you. So by way of application, that's real easy, isn't it? What you need to do today is repent. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've done wrong. And I need, I need to turn from my sin. I don't live for me anymore. I've been in rebellion against you. I deserve your wrath. I deserve hell. But I want you to forgive me. Not because I deserve it, but because Jesus lived for me, died for me, rose on the third day. 
so that I could know you. God, I want to know you today. Save me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Give me life today in Christ. Maybe that needs to be your prayer. If, you, if that's you and you pray that prayer, man, I want to know about it. Come talk to me. I love to talk to you about that. I love to talk to you about that. We're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. I want to ask you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to be done. The Lord gives us His Word. and We're so thankful for it. Aren't we? we get to study. And, and if there's meat on the bones, which I leave meat on the bones a lot, in your small groups, you have time to tackle those things and address those things. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we, we, we recognize you're good to us and we want to we want to be faithful to you as a church. And so I just ask that you would help us, Father, as a church. Help us to be faithful this week. Give us the grace to go out and obey what you've asked us to do. And maybe it's praying for opportunity to share with that person that needs to hear the gospel. Father, maybe it's just spending more time remembering what you've done. Maybe it's just repenting because we've been in a kind of a doing our own mode. We've been in kind of doing our own thing. We haven't been asking you what you want me to do. Maybe you're kind of in one of those Peter moments where you just need God to get your attention. You need to repent and you need to get back to asking God, not my will, but your will be done. Father, help us to be a faithful, faithful church. Help us be a, a people who loves one another, who gives grace to one another who shares the gospel with people who need to hear it. And Father, if there's anybody here can't say that this gospel is their gospel, may you grant them faith and repentance today. Father, all the things that are going on this week, we just ask that you would bless our efforts and Lord, you would use it for the edification of the church. Think about tonight, small group meetings that will be going on in homes. Bless those. Today at, at lunch, just bless the conversation as Chris and Stacy's small group eat lunch together. Just pray to you. Let that be a sweet time for them. For Wednesday night, Father, just pray that you use that time as we teach children and students and adults and as we come together and eat together. May you bless it. And foster care training uh, on Thursday. May you bless that as well. Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. So we ask you to help us, Jesus. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.